G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about headline Easter movies. And as you will know, Easter movies have historically been literally the biggest box office success stories for Hollywood movies. Certainly, The Passion of the Christ tops the list. You might be surprised, more than $600 million at the box office since its release. Then, as an outreach, you might remember the Jesus film, translated into more than 1,800 languages, and more than 500 million people have made decisions for Christ in 200 countries around the world. Now, this year, there's a new Easter movie that it's about to capture some imaginations. And maybe it won't be as big as The Passion of the Christ or the Jesus film, but it will add to the titles that proclaim the Easter story. It's called The Penitent Thief, and it aims to bring to life the backstory of the two criminals crucified with Jesus Christ. The film sets out to imagine how these little-known characters ended up beside Jesus on that historic day. Our special guest through this coming hour is Rod Hopping. Rod is the founder and driving force behind Heritage Films Australia, working with a vast catalogue of feature film and television content. Rod Hopping, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's really lovely to be with you. I appreciate it. And Rod, this is actually a special day because it's the launch of what will be the primary Easter focus for the coming Easter season. Let's just count down. It's only about five weeks away till Easter, isn't it? Something Absolutely. like that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but there is a new Easter movie this year, and it's The Penitent Thief, and the launch is today. It is, Neil. It's, it's, it's in cinemas as of today. Uh, we decided to um, bring it out for the Lent season uh, as a way for people to prepare for, uh, for Easter. I mean, it... It's crazy how close Easter is, isn't it? Uh, it is creeping up on us quickly and good for us talking about this at this time. So some people might be saying, oh, why aren't we talking about Easter films at Easter itself? Well, uh, when you have a family and when you recognise the power of an Easter film, you want to know about it a little in advance. So today, for listeners who are thinking, what will I expose my family to? Uh, what's new? What's out in the marketplace? The, this one, The Penitent Thief, may well be the, the one to, to be looking out for. Give us a little outline of how this film looks, Rod. Yeah, and it's interesting to note as well that sometimes it's hard to get Easter films in the cinemas at Easter because Easter always falls around school holidays. School holidays are a premium time for cinemas and for Hollywood releases uh, which we actually aren't seeing many of at the moment because Hollywood kind of is closed for business to a large degree. But uh, there is more opportunity than ever for us to, to have content out there in cinemas. And so we saw this film and, uh, Neil, it's in, you know, in terms of lining it up next to some of those great movies, um, I've, I've got to be honest with you, it's, it's not as, as high a quality film as The Passion of the Christ, a film that actually um, changed my life. Um, in, in actual fact, you know, the... the, the, the the current sort of scope of, of Christian and biblical movies in this last 20 years almost has, has been changed by 
an Aussie man, an Englishman, and, and, a, and an Irish lady. And I can talk a bit more about those three people, if you like, because they've all been at the centre of creating some incredible biblical and Easter-themed content. But uh, The Pendant and Thief, which, which um, does, as you mentioned, it tells um, the backstory, if you like, or, or it goes into what could have happened for the, the two men that were either side of Christ on the cross. And so it's, uh, it's really quite a riveting tale of, of their lives. And it is one of these ones we'd classify as a fictional account, but is it the idea that it's aligned with an authentic biblical narrative? Because, hey, it's talking about what leads up to that day, crucifixion day, but it, the, the, the fictional account actually is around these two characters that we aren't told too much about in the Bible. Absolutely. It's, um, and I guess we've, we've seen in these last few years more and more movies like this pop up where we, we encounter the characters and the narrative of the Bible stories that we know well. But through the lens, I, I almost consider it like another camera angle, if you like. Um, and um, it's really fascinating to explore that. Um, you know, I, I think Jesus, when he was, um, was with us here on earth, he, he, he showed us different camera angles as well. He actually drew people into story. You know, there's so many parables um, that, that you know, he told, which literally gave the people a camera lens or an angle to look at their own lives at a deeper way. And so that's what's happening more, more and more, I think, with some of these films. You might even say, as Jesus is telling those stories, those parables, and uh, I think rightly, as you reflect, the idea of it's like a, it creates an imaginary cinema, and sometimes people talk about the theatre of the mind. And, you know, when you've got someone who's actually created a cinema uh, film, then they have actually got their imagination onto something that is substantial that others can share. But you're right, when Jesus was telling those parables, uh, he was switching on the cinema in people's minds. Absolutely. There's there's a, a, a picture, I think, too, of people scratching their heads afterwards, Neil. I mean, we, we even... Uh, here in the word that his his closest friends at times had to say to him, "Can you tell us what was going on with that story?" So we can we can see that he just told story and he backed away from the the larger group and let story resonate with them. And that's a fascinating thing to consider. I mean, I'm passionate. I'm very biased about it. I love the power of story. That's why we do what we do. But um, there's we we don't mind if if we're in the head scratching business, if you like, as well. That's something that we aim to do. So, Rod, you've got the story of the two thieves, and uh, you know we might have that image in our own minds: uh, Jesus on the center cross, the three crosses at Calvary. You've got the two thieves, and there's a a little bit of interaction that happens with these thieves. We don't really know a whole lot about them, uh, except they were, you know, they were rebels, and somehow or other they'd been brought to justice. And this film starts to unpack some of that backstory, and perhaps gives us a little insight into the way history might have looked in that first century time with some of the unrest that was going on in Jerusalem and around the Roman Empire. Absolutely, Neil. And I think what's fascinating about that is, um, you know, we, we, we know Jesus went to the cross and was crucified. We know that it, it was an unjust thing that took place. Uh, we know that the, the atmosphere of the day picked up and carried that momentum forward. Um, but we don't often think about what led people to suffer crucifixion in that day. And so to a degree, this movie tells the story about how two other people could end up suffering crucifixion as a sentence. And it also shows the influence along the way of their lives and what shaped them um, towards the decisions that they made. There were some ruthless and, and heartless things that took place to them. 
you know, it's, it, it also explores that thing that we become, uh, at times we have the, the potential to become what our environment thrusts upon us as well. Rod, is there a rating on this film? Uh, what is it rated? Uh, can you have the kids sitting with you while you watch it, or is it one you take your teenagers to? Uh, what's the rating? It's an M-rated film. So, um, you know, that that uh, is because uh, more than anything, I think there's there's some violence in the film. Um, you know, these guys get caught up in a, in a gang, if you like, the gang of the day. Um, but being M-rated, it's, um, it's not high level. Um, M-rating, I guess, is is there for people to make their own decision. But that's probably more of a, uh, a teenage kind of end up kind of conversation, I think. Now, I want to invite listeners to join into our conversation today. I want to open our talkback lines so you can perhaps make a contribution and uh, your thoughts around Easter films. Uh, the question we're asking on our Facebook question today is, how do you think Easter films enhance your family's Easter experience? And uh, Rod, no doubt we'll, we'll hear from some listeners and uh, there might even be thoughts around the idea of an authentic biblical narrative type of a almost literal interpretation of Jesus' life brought to film. And then you've got this creative uh, you know, release that comes in some other films like this one, which is telling the fictional account of the lead up to the two thieves on the cross. Uh, not everybody, uh, some people prefer one or the other. So I want to invite listeners to join in that part of our conversation today. And you might have your own reflection on perhaps your favourite Easter films of all time. And you might like to remind us of uh, the dozens, maybe dozens upon dozens, of Easter films that there have been over the years, uh, some major ones, and uh, we can talk about some of those as well. So why don't you take the opportunity, join into our conversation, and you can respond to that question too on our Facebook page, how do you think Easter films enhance your family's Easter experience? Let's talk about this, uh, this idea for a moment, Rod where there's the uh, almost literal Bible narrative put to film because the filmmakers don't want to lose the authenticity of what they're delivering. And then there's this other creative side that uh, introduces all sorts of stuff that could, in fact, take a risk and twist some of that narrative. What are your thoughts for, for how these things happen? Yeah, over the years, we've seen um, literal word of, word of God put to film. There's been... New Testament productions. There's been films that that have come out that are word for word, and what's beautiful about those is it takes the words off the page and it puts faces. I think that there's there's one Jesus movie, um, and I call him the the smiling Jesus. And there's a scene where he heals somebody, and that person just looks at their body that's been healed and tackles him to the ground, and they roll around giggling and wrestling together. And uh, I met that actor, um, Bruce Marciano's his name. Um, he's my favourite Jesus, and that that to me that showed the joy of of a, a leper, as it were, being healed. And it's like, why wouldn't you you rumble on the ground with a person that's just set you free from it? So the power of of film and the it's visual imagery. It takes the words off the page, and it actually starts to um, it, it go deeper into our spirits and our souls. Because story is such a powerful thing. If if you and I could just spend the rest of the day telling each other our stories, I think we'd be better friends at the end of the day. And the power of story is that it bonds us together. And so this is why we love to share stories on film, um, because I think there's something that the audience can connect with at a personal level. And uh, and through that can become 
more hopeful, um, more a sense of purpose and destiny as well, but also more friends with the character and the story that's taking place. So I guess I'm all for stories that can uplift and instill a sense of hope and introduce people to the God of that hope, even if they are based on elements of the Bible and ba- based on true story. And if you think about it, the best movies that we've ever seen typically are based on a book. There's some awareness that's already there, but they take the characters in the book and they bring to life the whole set and the whole life of the person that we're celebrating. As you say, when you're looking at a, a written word on a page, it's hard to actually uh, experience the emotion of the moment. And so the filmmaker, when they're applying their skill to bringing that moment to life, as you say, you know, the Jesus uh, character in the movie uh, that you mentioned, uh, you know, rolling around on the ground, giggling because, you know, what was the emotion of the moment when that leper is healed uh, from their infirmity? And that is just an amazing thing that can happen when you've got film. Uh, emotion is something that comes out in in these films. And do you find, though, a Rod, that sometimes when you you've got uh, some of the Jesus films that we might have seen over the years, uh, there's not been as much of that emotion that perhaps is is really, uh, you know, typical of what would have happened in reality in those days. Yeah, I think, and, and the reason I honed in on Smiling Jesus, as I call him, is I, I think he does the best job at, at bringing to life the character of Jesus. And there definitely have been some productions where uh, Jesus has been a little bit more one-dimensional and I can't... It's almost like uh, an, uh, an idol walking around. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's no big smiles. There's no, and yet the Jesus we're introduced to in the in the um, the New Testament, um, we we see the emotion and that we see his his joy and we see his friendship with people and we see his passion. Um, you know, to go to the cross for us would have taken all the passion. It, this this man had passion, has passion. Um, And to see it come out on screen through different characters, I think, is awesome to see. Smiling Jesus, and uh, there would be some reasons why filmmakers will choose to have a smiling Jesus. Uh, There's all sorts of images that we might be able to look at uh, from the Bible. Uh, There's also this idea of white Jesus, and and some Jesus films have had a, a white uh, very uh, Caucasian-looking uh, character, and uh, others more modern have had uh, brown-skinned Jesus, which is probably closer to the original. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the, just the difference in ways that Jesus is portrayed in the movies? Yeah, I, th- I think it's good to see um, the different portrayals. I think it's it's good for us to to be presented with things that can stir us to think and to consider and to seek out in our own hearts and minds um, what we know to be true and how we can be influenced. To um to understand a bigger narrative, bigger perspective. Because you're right, from it's it's quite likely that there was a darker skin, and I, uh, Jesus in, in in terms of uh, the one who walked the earth. And I think we um I think the Passion of the Christ got it. I mean, it's the the pinnacle. Um, there's so much about that movie that I think we can um we could talk about, but that um actually and it, actually that movie Neil changed everything in terms of. Christian and faith-based movie production. So even though there'd been many generations, of, in fact, it, it's it's a known fact that the first movie ever made in the world was made, I believe, by the Salvation Army. So moving pictures was something that was a part of the church in history. Uh, obviously, Hollywood got hold of it and it became a you know a, a big sensation. Um, but um, you know, back in two thousand and four, uh, in a sense, Mel Gibson put a line in the sand, and from that point on, we've actually seen also an industry 
begin. And, uh, and we've all benefited from that industry as well. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest this hour is Rod Hopping. Rod leads a fabulous organisation called Heritage Films Australia. And Rod, you've been working in film for a long time and you take a special interest in these Easter-style films. I mean, there's lots of Christian films, but at Easter time there's something special about these Easter films and there's lots of them on the list. I wonder if you've got a few favourites at the top of your list as to some of the biggest Easter films of all time. Absolutely, Neil. I think, um, as I mentioned before, The Passion of the Christ is definitely up there as number one for me. Uh, I think um, there was a movie that uh, came out called Risen um, that um, many people will know. It's interesting to note that um, of all of the Hollywood studios, the Sony organization have really gone after biblical and faith-based films more than any other. There's definitely, and everybody wants a slice of it because... Uh, particularly in the US, it's, it's seen as a, a revenue stream. And, uh, and, and again, Mel Gibson, he actually put the, if you want to call it, industry on the map. Uh, but so- Sony have been consistent and they've made movies um, like uh, The Star in Animation at Christmas time. They've made uh, Risen, Paul, Apostle of Christ, uh, Miracles from Heaven, All Saints. And they do a very, very good job when they make movies. But I, I thought Risen was also really, really good as well as an Easter film. And when I asked you about the rating on the film, you said uh, this new one, uh, The Penitent Thief, it's got an M rating. Uh, as I recall, the, uh, you know, the Passion of the Christ, I think it was MA rating, uh, because the violence that happens in these films and the depiction of, you know, were... A blood-soaked Jesus, you know, after being whipped, uh, those sorts of things, they do create uh, an issue for ratings. And so there are going to be some films that are going to be appropriate from for your youngest children, and there are going to be those that are going to capture the imagination of the person who wants to see a little bit more real life. What was this really like? And and actually, it's a brutal story uh, to be able to bring to film. So, so you've got something there for kids, and you've got something there for the adults. Yeah, absolutely. We it's it's always going to be very hard to make an Easter film that's G-rated. Um, having said that, um, we are seeing filmmakers um, do make Lego movies, um, which Legos it's a, it's a crazy. There's a you know Lego movies are, are known around the world, and there's a, a filmmaker out of the US who's making a lot of Christian Lego movies, and he's he's got the passion of the Christ Lego movie. Do you know what I mean? So. There are, there are ways for us to show our kids um, the, the Easter story without, as I say, you, you couldn't show the crucifixion without um, some levels of, of gore and, and, and violence because it, it's... Uh, I, I remember uh, being invited to watch uh, an, a rough cut of The Passion of the Christ when it was coming out. And um, I'll never, ever forget it, Neil. It was, um, there was so much um, expectation in my heart and life around it. This, this film actually changed my life and and caused me to start doing what we're doing back in 2004. But I remember watching the film and the version I saw when Jesus was being flogged, if you remember, he's dragged into that courtyard mm-hmm. and uh, it went for minutes more than the, the end up, the final cut. And I, I was sitting in my chair in a, in a private theatre with about four other people and I almost couldn't handle it. It was too much. I, I almost, and I was crying, there were tears streaming down my face. 
it, it, it was incredible, but it was it was in your face. There was a lot of imagery and a lot of blood and gore floating around that scene. It was and and for, for you know Mel Gibson got a lot of flack for that. And I know many people who've said to me, I could never watch that movie. It's too violent. And, of course, there were those who would have said before the release of The Passion of the Christ, uh, why doesn't someone come out and give us a little bit more insight into the reality of what went on? And uh, I remember seeing the film and uh, having to look away as, you know, you have that feeling when when that uh, whipping scene happens. Uh, and the idea of uh, others in the cinema at the time uh, absolutely, you know, weeping in tears loudly um, but we we wanted to see something of reality. But when the reality struck, uh, it was really emotional. It was really moving, and actually, we didn't want to watch it. It was it was bloodthirsty. Uh, it was some, and as you say, those criticisms, and some people would have been very critical of actually having that in the in the cinema. But I've met many people uh, who said, "Oh, I don't ever want to watch that movie because it's got so much gore and you know blood." And brutality in it, and and for some that's going to be the, what drives them to watch the movie, and uh, others though are going to have a little bit more of a reserved way of thinking about it. They won't want to watch it. Absolutely. Oh, look, I think there's also something to be said about the fact that the evidence of the era and the evidence that can be found around crucifixion, potentially, uh, what Mel Gibson did was showed us what well and truly could have happened. Um, but I also think he's a master filmmaker and. He also managed to bring moments into the film to just break the tension, and, and um, but also to break our hearts. So there's a scene where Jesus is carrying the cross. So we've been through the flogging scene, and they're on the way to, to the hill, and he stumbles and falls, and there's crowds around him. And, and those who've seen the movie will know the scene I'm talking about. But then we cut to little boy Jesus running down a path and falling. He's just a little child who's just fallen and grazed his knees, but Mary... His mum, younger Mary, sees him. So we have this flashback and this beautiful human um, story of a mother who runs to her son's side, a little boy who's just grazed his knees, gathers him up in her arms. It's not long before we return to the current moment and there is the same Mary many years later watching her son carrying the cross. It's it's a, a, a fabulous... See, this... We don't see Jesus. We don't hear about baby, little boy Jesus falling over in the in the scripture. We don't have those stories. But what the filmmakers done there is present to us something that well and truly could have happened. But to bring the humanity in and to cause us even more than ever to feel for Mary as well, who's watching what's going on. Beautiful stuff when you think about the application of that creativity of the filmmaker to say this is potentially what could have been going through the mind in a moment like that uh, when Jesus stumbles carrying the cross uh, towards Golgotha. Uh, You know, one of the things I read about the Passion of the Christ is that most of the cast and crew converted after the film and uh, and I think there's a you know a largely a catholic side there uh, perhaps not a, a protestant conversion the way that many of us might think but this idea that these sorts of movies can affect the heart in such a way that we will convert uh, and follow Christ more deeply I imagine this is one of the uh, one of the motives of filmmakers making movies about easter yeah and, and isn't it amazing that god used mel gibson to do that um, you know, uh, he, he is a great filmmaker and I've, I've always been a fan of him. Gr- growing up, I loved his acting. I loved the movies that he was in. Braveheart is my all-time favourite movie. 
Uh, and so, you know, he, he, he starred in it. He was a co-writer. He directed it. Um, you know, when you think about Braveheart and you think of the story that he told with William Wallace, um, it's, it's no wonder he could embrace telling the Jesus story. Uh, um, but, but, you know, God used a master filmmaker to, to, to bring to life a story that um, was well known, but, you know, has been told in a different way. When Mel Gibson announced he was making the movie, he was dropped like a, a, a hot potato in Hollywood. Um, this man has made Hollywood, up until that point, a truckload of money. The Fox organization, 20th Century Fox, had a, 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 a partnership with him. Everything Mel was doing, acting, directing, Fox would release globally, made them all a lot of money. Mel says, I'm going to make this religious movie with a dead language. Fox dropped it um, like a hot potato, dropped him. He was forced to go out on his own. He was forced to walk probably a lonely journey, but at the same time, as you mentioned, and that was a that's six hundred odd million dollars. That's a US figure. So in Aussie dollars, he's done over eight hundred million dollars box office, um, and it was for many years only just in the last year or so the highest rated, the highest uh, box office for an R rated movie in the US. Uh, R in the US is about our equivalent to MA, and he held that record until just about a year ago. Rod, we'll move on from The Passion of the Christ shortly, but there's so many very interesting angles around this one because it really is the gold standard when it comes to Easter films. The fact that it was not in even anyone's language, it was in as you, I think, said in the last half hour, a dead language, or it was in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. It's the biblical languages, such attention to detail, and that, in fact, wasn't a detriment to the movie. It was an enhancement to the movie. How do you explain that? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, you, you, know, you, you just couldn't imagine that it would be a success because we kind of just um, almost demand to hear things in our own, own language, our own spoken language. And so I think we're confronted with um, content that's in another language, uh, you know, particularly if you've got subtitles um, and you've got to follow along. It feels like the brain has to work a bit harder. But I think what happened with the passion, and I'm going to get this wrong, but there's a, a great artist um, who's, who's up there um, in, in the world stage. Um, I think an Italian artist in terms of p- the paintings that he does, Cavaggio or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for I'm not a good historian from and, that perspective, and I can't make any correction no. at all. But, but I, uh, yep. but I uh, believe M- Mel Gibson's um, vision was to take his paintings and recreate them, and so in other words, it was a f- uh, a f- an artwork. Um, and you know, as I mentioned before, he is one of I believe one of the world's best filmmakers, and so you've got this incredible imagery. And it's fascinating, Neil, that some of the best movies, you know, you can go online and if, you, if you've loved a movie, you can Google the script for it and you can actually download the script of your favorite movie. Some of the best movies have very simple scripts. We think that it's all dialogue driven and the story's told through words. But um, we, this is the motion picture industry. And so we, what we see on screen, the, um, the actors, the, their look on their face, the lighting, the sound, the the soundtracks, um, the, the you know I've got on my on my Spotify the Passion of the Christ soundtrack, and sometimes when I feel like I need to reconnect with what Christ has done for me on the cross, I go and listen to an orchestral piece of music. The, so really, the Passion was a piece of artwork, and so it almost felt like the language became secondary because we literally were um, we were what we were hearing come out of their mouths made no sense to us. 
there were subtitles so we could follow along. But there's there's a point where um, you know I remember um, the uh, director of Gladiator um, was so passionate about the visual storytelling and the soundtrack that he wanted the movie to make sense without any dialogue. And uh, so that that is that's high art form. That is that is very high art form. And look, Mel Gibson is at this present time working on a sequel to The Passion of the Christ. What do you know about where they're up to in the development stages of getting this thing up and going? It's been rumoured for probably since the moment The Passion kind of was so successful. Interestingly, they're taking their time. Uh, I believe he's engaging with. Um, an existing collaborator by the name of uh, Randall Wallace, who is an incredible writer who wrote Braveheart. Um, and um, I believe that Randall's writing the script with Mel for what we're told is going to be what takes place next. And if you remember um, that amazing moment at the end of The Passion of the Christ, um, oh, there's so many things about it that even when I talk about it, it stirs emotion in me because that film does still to this day cause cause deep emotion. But, um, you know, we, we hear this sound of the Rolling Stone um, at the end. Not Mick Jagger Rolling Stone, but the <laughs> Rolling Stone, you know. Yeah. And, and um, it's this incredible sound and it's this slow moving. And then we see the kind of the, the linen dropping down to the... For those who remember, it's like slowly just the air goes out of it and there's no body there. And then we just, we're fixed upon um, Jim Caviezel's face, who did an incredible job playing the role of Jesus. And, and um, from that point on... We, we know he has risen. The movie stops. So this is, this is what happens next. Okay. Uh, we'll all be looking out for it, and uh, no doubt we'll be giving some attention to it when it's close to even in, uh, in production phase and when it is released, uh, no doubt on this program, we'll be very excited about what it will bring. Interesting, as you say, where the Passion of the Christ finished. Uh, just a few years ago, there was the film Risen, and uh, and I remember going along to uh, a preview that I think you were presenting at the time, Rod, and uh, and so uh, you know appreciated being there, and and it was one of those movies. I think it was an M-rated movie too, and uh, there were some squeamish moments in there where you might think I just need to turn away because uh, you know it was not an easy movie to watch in some places. But they took their film beyond that moment of resurrection and uh, right on into the ascension. And again, you've got these uh, fairly likeable characters as the disciples. But just a, just a thought that's coming to mind here is the way they portrayed the ascension uh, in that movie. And I'm not sure you can remember it, but uh, it's a little bit like, a, you know, like an atomic bomb going off. Mm. You know, sometimes you've got this idea of the ascension Jesus floating up uh, while there's harp music playing on a yeah. little white cloud. Yeah. Well, uh, they treated it a whole lot differently. So you can get some different ways of imagining how the biblical narrative comes to life. You've got these different ways of looking at the way the action happens. Absolutely. I can't wait to see the replay one day of the real ascension. That's going to be pretty cool. Uh, but we're definitely, and I think this is the, the great thing, in a story like Risen, we are taken um, into the the disciples' lives. We, we kind of... Get this feel for what's going on. Again, you can't read about it in the scripture. We're taken into a narrative that is um, is helping us maybe bring to life what could have happened or what it could have been like. And it actually p- puts things into context even more and helps us potentially engage more emotionally. And that's what I love about it, Neil. I think um, there's, there's potential for our emotions to really connect 
and gr- that's what great art does. So I think great art does grab hold of our emotions as well. Interestingly, when you are in the cinema, and some people are much more emotional than others, and uh, you know, I've I've got uh, I'm married and I've got four daughters, and so you know, watching a a romance movie or whatever, just knowing how the emotions in your daughters can be really affected by various parts and and that sort of thing. You're in the cinema. Um, men, I think, tend to contain our emotions a whole lot more. Do you think you get more out of the movie experience if you're not so self-conscious and you just want to let those emotions flow? Some people can't control it. What are your thoughts about you know about really entering into the experience of watching a movie? Yeah, look, in the, it, to me, there's nothing quite like the big screen experience, and yet it's also a public experience. And so even though you're sitting in the dark, but you know, you've got this massive screen, you've got surround sound, you really are in the emotion of the moment in cinema. And yet, um, I don't know about you or the listeners, but a lot of our viewing has changed. Uh, and a, a lot of what we do now is individual single screen viewing. Um, and it's it's less emotive. It still does get hold of your emotions, but um, I'm also a big believer in shared experience. The, um, the potential to go uh, or watch something together that's meaningful actually um, causes us to chat. Cause, oh, what did you think about that, Neil? I'm a bit, oh, that scene was weird. Oh, gee, I laughed in that scene. All of those things, again, they're bonding experiences. But I, I um, and, and again, the, the, coming back to the Passion of the Christ, it was just too hard. I, I knew some people that said, I can't watch this in the cinema. I'll wait till it comes out on back then video. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I'll watch it at home because at least if it gets too too difficult, I've got a remote in my hand. There's no remote in the cinema. You can't pause that experience. And um, I think we've probably all had moments in the cinema where we've laughed or snorted too loudly. We've been crying and we've kind of all of a sudden found ourselves realising, actually, we're in a public space. I wonder if anyone else heard me snort just then or can see these tears streaming down my face. So you compose yourself, but it is an immersive experience as well, isn't it? It is. And the new one that's being released today, The Penitent Thief, how do you describe it? Is uh, Are there emotional moments in there or is it an action film? You said it's rated M. Uh, how does it, you know, how does it uh, come across when, you, when you're watching it? Yeah, de- definitely. I think um, the story is designed to give us the perspective of two brothers and the emotion of their story is what shaped them, what took place to them what they were confronted with, and how they ended up next to Jesus. And as we know, and as we see in the film, what took place on the cross as well. The, the difference in response and reaction to, to two of them is, is highly emotive when you think about it. Um, I've always loved the simplicity of the thief on the cross story. Um, when people talk, you know, and I know that it's, it's really good for us to have uh, sinner's prayer and things that can help guide people. Um, but there's a simplicity simplicity about what took place on the cross which was a an acknowledgement that jesus i believe you are who you are and it was as it was as simple as that and uh, it's quite profound to then see a story and to understand how one brother could say that and the other brother could heckle and reject jesus it's profound and it's not accidental because those two thieves on the cross aren't mentioned there in the biblical narrative, the story of the crucifixion, for no reason at all. Their way that they have that little conversation and uh, Jesus chimes in, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. These are really quite profound and no doubt you can uh, you can get quite theological about those things too. 
I don't know whether uh, this new movie uh, takes a theological approach to all of that, but but you know, let us know your thoughts here, Rod. Is it uh, is there a sort of a deeper theological way you can assess this movie? Well, up front, the reason I'm in the movie and story business is because I'm not in the theology business. Um, <laughs> okay. and never been to theological school. Uh, I, I think um, when you love story as much as I do, um, you're probably more open to a range of stories. Um, and do you know, I, I remember a movie that we were involved in. We didn't distribute it, but we did some promotion and marketing, um, a movie called Mary Magdalene. Um, and across you know mainstream christianity particularly in the us where it's we're a little different but we're a little same as well um it was perceived to be a bit of a weird movie but um you know my my take on it was nobody's ever put the camera lens on mary and nobody's ever shown what it would be like for her to hang around the disciples and be the only female in the mix there and so once again these these conversations and when you talk about theology versus storytelling um, a, a different camera angle, a different lens, a different perspective of the, the theological story that we know can actually open our heart and mind up, I think, to a deeper sense of love and appreciation. And to me, that's worth, that's worth exploring. I think some will disagree and some will say, absolutely, uh, I'm mature enough to be able to understand those things and uh, I can watch and uh, see a different take on these things. Uh, sometimes as a parent, you say, well, what am I going to expose my teenagers to? And uh, we might say, oh, I wouldn't promote that one. Because as you say, uh, some of the Jesus movies over the years have actually had a real weird bent to them. Uh, one that comes to mind, which I didn't see, but uh, remember how controversial it was, The Last Temptation of the Christ. And that was a Martin Scorsese film and, of course, uh, portrayed Jesus in such a way as he was having all sorts of fantasies, being married to Mary Magdalene and and then having, uh, you know, uh, uh, affairs on the side and all sorts of things like that, which, which as a Christian, you're actually... Uh, affronted by uh, those sorts of things you know how can anybody uh, make those sorts of uh, associations uh, for the savior of the world and he'll stand before God one day and answer to that but what are your thoughts about the fact that some of the Jesus films over the years have had this weirdness about them yeah to start with what's really interesting about those films is they haven't done very well um, they they kind of land in no man's land. As I recall, uh, the last temptation of the Christ was one of the biggest box office flops ever. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, and perhaps the best way to answer that question is um, if you, if you take a, a story like and look at the Passion of the Christ, it's the best, it's the highest ever. And in that picture, even though some would argue or disagree, even question Mel Gibson's slant because there were. There were themes of the Stations of the Cross and things that, that have a Catholic theme to it as well in the movie, which, again, I think we can learn from in, in terms of um, understand why that takes place and why that happens. But the, the, the interesting thing is when you watch a film like The Passion, as a Christian, you can go, it looks to me like I, I imagine it. Do you know what I mean? Even though I'm trying to, it could be more violent or I'm trying to catch up with the language. Um, but these other films is like, is like a foreign substance and I think the interesting thing is the fruit of it. Um, you see, if you if you make uh, a, a religious movie, but you're not true to Scripture, um, Christians around the world won't support it or won't turn up at the box office. In actual fact, if you go too far, and that's a good instance there that you mentioned, they'll actually, you know, 
say things against it or they'll, they'll push up against it, which sometimes can give the content more exposure as well and actually create interest in other areas. But there is a no man's land. There's, there's, there's an opportunity to make a film that Christians won't go and see and a mainstream kind of secular audience is just basically not interested in it as well. They'd rather watch the next Thor movie. Let's talk about some of the you know the content that is around, which is absolutely amazing for Easter time viewing, and particularly at this time of year. And as you say, in that season of Lent, that so many denominations are actually endeavouring to deepen the spirituality of their uh, adherents and their membership in that time. Uh, the likes of Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, uh, a couple of Hollywood. Uh, uh, personalities who really have immersed themselves in doing biblical-based content. Uh, give us some insight here into, you know, because they had the series all about the Bible. Uh, there's great stuff that's around this time of year. Yeah, I, I really love their story. Mark Burnett is an, is an Englishman. Uh, Roma is, uh, for those who remember, Touched by an Angel. She was in Touched by an Angel. Um, you know, Mark arrived in Los Angeles, and if anyone's ever been to Los Angeles, there's this crazy place called Venice Beach. And he started selling T-shirts on Venice Beach just to make a buck. And uh, he went from there. He had an interest in adventure sports. He had an idea that you could turn kind of an adventure sport, camping out there kind of thing into a series. Survivor was born. Um, it, and the world of reality TV kind of opened up from that point. Mark Burnett is probably known as the king of reality TV globally. There's many franchises that he's founded. Uh, Mark and Roma have taken their celebrity, their status, their networks, and, I, and also their own personal wealth. And um, they've produced content that, again, like Mel Gibson, they've got the bar and they put it high. The, uh, the, the Bible series was launched on Channel 9 here in Australia on Sunday nights in, in prime time. Now, we've never seen something like that happen. Um, the, and then they followed up with the AD series and, of course, the movie Son of God. So what Mark and Roma have done is they've actually bought high-quality biblical storytelling into mainstream audiences and mainstream platforms because there's plenty of evidence of Christian uh, and faith-based movies that never, ever, ever make it into mainstream places. So it's pretty interesting to see what the likes of they are doing. As I mentioned, the Sony organization as well. It's, it's very cool because it means... A bigger audience is exposed to these stories. And special honour to people like that, as you say, using their own wealth. Uh, I recall a conversation with Roma Downey and uh, talking about how she and her husband invested I think somewhere around the $10 million mark in, in, uh, of their own finances into making their projects, uh, you know, get off the ground. And of course, uh, you know, the success of those, hope, hopefully there's a return for them, but uh, it's a big risk. And so people are taking big risks to be able to get their, uh, their vision uh, onto film and uh, very, very powerful. Hey, you know, we were asking a question today and I'll encourage you to, Engage with other listeners to our conversation today who are responding to how do you think Easter films enhance your family's Easter experience? Uh, Carolyn says, yes, very much. I'm Aboriginal and I always look for Easter type movies about Jesus around Easter time and Christmas time too. It enforces our conviction in our heart about Jesus and why he came and for ourselves and our children and grandchildren and now great-grandchildren. Now, interesting here. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for responding there. There's this generational thing and a new generation won't know 
which is the best movie to watch at Easter time. But if you're a generation older, or two, or three, as is Carolyn, you've got a lot of great wisdom and insight to suggest what you might watch this Easter. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I love what Carolyn shared, and I was going to mention that uh, it's a Christmas thing as well. It's it's kind of in, in our busy and unusual sort of age that we're in, there's something about setting the mood for the season as well, and it, it takes intentionality to do that, you know. Christmas time, you put the Christmas tree up and you decorate it. We don't tend to do as many things like that at Easter time. But um, it's well known that a, a large proportion of our community who don't regularly attend church, for instance, come out at Easter time. So we have this opportunity in the in the nation we live in as well um, to be able to, to create a space at Easter. And sometimes uh, an Easter movie gets you in the, in the zone. It, it brings you out of the busyness of life. It reminds you of the season that we're in. And, and it is a beautiful season. Personally, for me, the Easter season is my favorite time of the year for so many reasons, mostly because of what it represents. And um, it's, um, it's an incredible time. But I always, like um, we just heard, put, put an Easter movie on. It helps me understand and reflect as well. And I imagine that there's a certain sense in which you uh, intentionally put on the Easter movie and it brings to life all of the things that you might hear in the lead-up to and the things that you might observe uh, when Good Friday rolls around and Easter Saturday, then uh, uh, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday. So a good thing to do to plan to watch an Easter movie this year. And if you can get along to a cinema, I didn't get onto uh, the idea, Rod, that some people are afraid to go to the cinema right now because uh, cinemas, that's why they haven't released any of these big, big budget films because people are afraid to go to the cinema. Lots more Aussies will be less afraid to go to the cinema given our ways that we've been able to contain coronavirus so far. But there is a release, The Penitent Thief, the story of two unnamed men who were crucified alongside Jesus, and it is in cinemas. So there's something like 70 cinemas around Australia. Uh, where do people find all the detail about how they can go and view this movie, Rod? Yeah, if you um, really all you have to do is Google Movies Change People. Uh, you'll you'll find us there on movieschangepeople.com uh, and you'll see The Penitent Thief on our on our homepage there and from there you'll be able to find cinemas as to where it's playing. It's it's in cinemas today. Um, the movies stay in cinemas for as long as people turn up to uh, see. It's a very competitive space. Even with uh, Hollywood's kind of shut for business at the moment, there aren't any big blockbusters coming out. There haven't been for many, many months. It's a very, very unusual time. But also, um, more than ever, Neil, it's, uh, we've got more opportunities than we've ever had to be in cinema as well, simply because there's, there's big gaps there. Okay, go to the, uh, the, the website movieschangepeople.com and you'll be able to find there, and I think it's worked out by state, as to which cinemas you'll be able to see the movie The Penitent Thief and no doubt as you say it's going to be in cinemas as long as people will go to see it uh, and then no doubt it'll come out on all sorts of other platforms uh, so you'll be able to keep an eye on it for the future but right now if you want the in cinema experience keep an eye out The Penitent Thief it's this year's Easter film. Uh, Rod Hopping is the driving force behind Heritage Films Australia and he works with a vast catalogue of feature film and television content. We didn't get into a whole lot of the television content. We'll, we might have to make another date on another day to talk some more, Rod, but uh, thanks so much for taking some time to come in and share these thoughts with our listeners today on 2020. Yeah, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.